Anyone here for the first time tonight? I know we were smaller with students gone. Welcome. Welcome. Um, you've landed right towards the end of a series, um, so apologies for that. Um, I, um, the, you know, the joy of doing sermons and series, I was telling Tyler I wrote the sermon and I had two or three times more than I needed. There's just always so much to talk about. Um, but obviously, you know, the, with doing a whole series, we've touched on a lot of things as we've been going through the last few months. Um, so if you missed any Sundays, then listen online. <laughs> um, I, know, I, I know we're still getting used to this new microphone. Um, so can everyone hear me okay at the moment? Rachel, okay. Um, thank you. And James will sort me out if anything goes wrong. All right. Um, well, yeah, Kath and I really missed you guys last week. Um, we went down to Nashville to um, perform a, a marriage ceremony for two Taylor students, or former students, um, one, of, one of whom which I used to come to Kingdom Life. Um, the other you know, popped in and out. Um, but it was, it was a real party, actually. I suppose in Nashville, you know. <laughs> you would expect weddings to be um, a good celebration, and it really was. Um, it was an honor marrying them and just you know, sensing the Lord's joy over their marriage. Um, so as Joe said tonight, I'm, I'm wanting to talk about worship as perfume or our worship as a fragrant offering. Um, and and I, had, I had an idea to go through a whole lot of scripture. And there's a lot in the Old Testament that talks about the fragrance, the aroma of our worship. Um, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about us being the fragrance of God, not just in our worship, but in, in our lives, which is a beautiful image. And if I had more time, I would, have, <laughs> I would definitely have gone on to that one. But I encourage you to read 2 Corinthians 2, 14, 15, 16. Um, I'm focusing tonight on worship, but our, our whole lives are perfect to the Lord. And every time we choose him, every time we choose his ways, and not our own, we're offering up worship to him. And it's, it'll build his kingdom, and it's a fragrance to him. But there are two scriptures that really stand out when it comes to this idea of perfume. And the first is in Luke 7, and the second is in John 12. Um, John 12 is when um, Mary anoints Jesus' feet. Um, and it's, it's the time when Jesus talks about this being about his death and about his burial. And it's still a beautiful offering of praise to Jesus. But I, I want us to focus on Luke 7. So you can, you can turn there in the meantime. I'm not going to get there quite yet. But I want to focus on Luke 7 today because I think it illustrates best what I, what I believe God is wanting to speak to us uh, about tonight as a, as a church body. Um, and we had one of the words that we had, um, obviously, you know, we prayed before the service and there's, there's these moments where someone says something, praise something, and, and we just sense the, the Holy Spirit is, is doing something. And the first and obvious thing which we could say about any sermon, any time, is that Jesus is worthy He's worthy of our praise and he's worthy of our love and he's worthy of our worship and he's, he's worthy of everything. 
So <laughs> I think they agree. Okay, I think so. You know, and, and I, even if I ask you, do you agree? You know, Zach will say, well, of course, won't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and we all agree with our minds, and sometimes our bodies and our activities, our behavior will actually follow that statement. But he is worthy. And so whatever I say tonight, and as, we, as I get to the end and as we pray, let's have, our, let's have that be our heart, that he is worthy. That he is worthy of whatever he asks us to do. And the second thing that was spoken, we, we, just, we sense that, that, um, that the Lord wants to pull out some weeds from people's hearts tonight. You know, Scripture talks about our, our hearts being like fertile soil, or being different types of soil. And there can be soil with, with weeds in it and soil with rocks in it that makes it hard for the kingdom to grow. And we just believe the Lord's wanting to pull out some of those things tonight. So we'll pray that at the very end, but just, just be, allow the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you about your heart. So maybe there's some, there's some things he wants to do. Um, so before I get to Luke 7, I want to talk briefly about love. Okay, because love is really quite central to worship, isn't it? Um, there's this amazing story we all know. Um, after Jesus has been um, resurrected, he meets the disciples on the beach. And he says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. You know I love you. But we know the scripture that Jesus asked him not once, not twice, but three times, do you love me? He asked him every, for one year, for every time that Jesus denied him, Sorry, Peter denied Jesus. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And, and you know, I've preached on this before, and, and I know we, we know this, but just to remind us that Jesus, when he's asking Peter that question, he's, he's saying, do you love me with agape love, with this love of God, this, this pure, this powerful love? And when Peter responds to him, he doesn't say, yes, I love you with agape love. He says, I love you with filio love which is still love and it's still great, but it's not on the same level. He's not responding to Jesus with the love that Jesus is asking him. And the third time Jesus asked him, Jesus asked him, Do you, will you love me with filio love? And that's enough. And I think it's enough for Jesus because he knows what's going to happen to Peter. That at Pentecost, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And every time that Peter then writes about the love of God in the New Testament, he uses the word agape. So he, he expresses the love that Jesus was expressing. And this is Peter. This is the man that was passionate for Jesus. This is the man who said he was willing to die. Yes, we know he denied him, but he was the man who was passionate for Jesus. If we had asked Peter at any stage in his life with Jesus, the three years that he was living with him and ministering with him, do you love Jesus? We know he would have said yes. I don't think any of us would doubt that. And I think if I ask any one of you, do you love Jesus, your answer will be well, yes. Like, you might realize your love could be better or deeper, but I think, I think we'd start with a yes, wouldn't we? I think that's our heart, is that we love him. And the thing was, we see with Peter is that this is a man who was literally with Jesus. He was with Jesus. He saw all the miracles. He saw the transfiguration. He saw the resurrection. And even he could go somewhere deeper in love with Jesus. 
by the Spirit. You know, and, and I haven't had those, you know, I had the transfiguration, those crazy experiences, but you know, I know that my love now is really different to what my love was when I was 13. Or 14 when I was first filled with the Spirit. I know that I experienced him and my love for him grew. But my love for him now, and I'm 48, I know, a really young, handsome looking 48, but you know, um, my love now is so much deeper because I've lived with him and I've walked with him and I've, I've built up testimonies with him. Our love will always grow. And so as we, as we get to this scripture in Luke, I, I want us to appreciate that there's always more of Jesus to meet. There's more, always more of ourselves to give. Tozer wrote this about Christians a while back. I think it still applies. He says, perhaps the most serious charge that, be, that can be brought against modern Christians is that we are not sufficiently in love with Christ. He is worthy of our everything. You know, and, we, and we do build up these testimonies. Um, you know, and sometimes we, we have to go back to our old testimonies. So I've shared this one before, but it was a long time ago. There are some testimonies that are so precious to us because they reveal Jesus' heart. And they draw us into him. They draw us into his love because they reveal his character. And so I'll, I'll tell the story really briefly because I've shared it before. But this was the very first time I was ever allowed to preach, which was in an Anglican church in England, and I wasn't supposed to because you're supposed to be licensed to preach in an Anglican church. And my, well, my dad was the vicar, so he didn't care. So he allowed me to preach, but only because everyone else who normally preaches wasn't going to be there. And there were maybe 15 people in the building because someone was getting ordained into the ministry from our church. So he let me preach to this small gathering. And I preached on love and grace, on the law and grace. And it was a really average sermon. And I prayed a prayer at the end. And I just asked the Lord to move and to reveal himself to people. And nothing happened. I mean, I just prayed and and that was the end of the service. And I, I thought it went okay, you know. And the next week, so that was Sunday, the following week, not that week, but the following week, um, a woman in the church who was um, in her 70s, she used to clean my dad's house once a week or once every two weeks. She was a, she was a really um, angry woman, a really bitter woman, hard. Um, always nice, but she was hard. And um, she's, she was typical, typically English. She would never share anything personal because she was English, and English don't do that. But she came to me and she said that, um, that no one in the church knew this about her. Um, but when she was married, her husband used to beat her, used to abuse her physically, and would regularly um, lock her in the garden shed overnight. And it was a time, you know, in England where men could get away with doing things like that. 
And she said he died and it was the greatest day of her life. But she said the horror was that every single night, imagine this, every single night she had the same nightmare. The same nightmare. And I'll spare the details of the nightmare, but it was horrible. <laughs> and she said, and this, um, oh, memory, I think it was like 25, 26 years. Every single night she'd had this dream. And she said to me, you, you prayed at the end of your sermon that Jesus would come. And I felt him. And I've never heard his voice and I've never felt him before. I've never felt anything like this, but I felt him and I felt love. And I haven't had that nightmare. And then every week when I saw her, she'd say, I haven't had that nightmare. And then she'd just carry on. But every week the hardness in her started to soften and the bitterness softened and light started to come into her face. And that was the beauty of Jesus. Pulling out this, this, this hate and pain that was in her heart. You know, and so we, we have so many testimonies in our own lives and in those around us where we see God heal and God restore. And he is so beautiful and he's so worthy of our praise. And so we get to Luke 7, finally. I'm going to read from verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table, in the Pharisee's house, sorry, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain, certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. So some people wonder, you know, they say that was this woman a, a um, prostitute? Maybe this, Luke doesn't confirm this. She's just a sinner. Many sins. Um, but it's a beautiful story because like one or two other parables or stories that we have in scripture, it positions two very different ways of approaching Jesus. I was looking at various commentaries on the scripture and it's, it's interesting that the first thing that the scholars really wrestle with is, is this idea that Jesus says, um, and Jesus says that she is forgiven for she loved much. Because we know we are forgiven by the blood of Christ, not because of our love, not because of our works. But I, I believe that her love is a reflection of her forgiveness. And obviously we know in scripture that God, the Father and Jesus forgive whoever they want to forgive as sovereign acts, as foretastes of what is coming when forgiveness is offered to all. And this is one of those moments when Jesus issues forgiveness before the cross. And of course in verse 50, he says it's not just her love, but it's your faith that has saved you. And that's a really interesting line, your faith. Like we talk about, well, your faith has saved us. Well, what is our faith? Well, our faith is in Jesus, the resurrected son of God. He's not yet resurrected. She's had faith in something else. She said, faith in this man who she believes can heal her and set her right. I, mean, I don't know if you guys are like me. There's this, this line where Jesus says, you know, those who have been forgiven much love much. And I, you know, I'm one of those people who grew up in the church. I was, I was never on drugs. You know, I don't have a dramatic you know, conversion story, um, and, you know, and maybe like you, you went to Christian camps and someone, you know, some drug addict would stand up and give this amazing testimony. And I always kind of felt a little bit cheated by that. Seemed, you know, they seem to love Jesus more than I do, and yet they've lived this really debauched life. Like, Lord, how does that work? Like, I've been faithful. <laughs> That's what my mind's saying anyway. And there is this reality, Jesus says it, that where we have been in sin, where there is darkness, you know, when his light comes, that light is bright, the contrast is amazing. And it's a beautiful testimony of his grace. And we've seen this in so many people, that where they have been forgiven much, they love much. But of course, it's so easy to, in that thought, to believe this lie. As we look at the story, 
Like, are we more like the woman or are we more like the Pharisee? Are we, are we more the one who thinks, well, actually, I've tried to live a good life. I think I've done okay. Maybe I'm not that bad. And of course, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we love him, the more we worship him, the more intimacy we have with him, the more we realize that we are completely and utterly broken and useless and sinful and absolutely gloriously forgiven and children of God. <laughs> but we have these two people. We have Simon. And if, if you read these words, it seems that Simon is testing Jesus. In the verses prior, Luke says that the Pharisees rejected the message of Jesus. They've rejected his message. They've rejected his message of repentance. And yet this one Pharisee at least invites Jesus to his home to find out more. But he does not welcome him as an honored guest. He does not kiss him, which would be a sign of honor. He does not wash his feet, which would be a sign of good hospitality, let alone honor. The appearance is this is as unwelcome a dinner guest as you could unwelcome someone that you've invited. <laughs> And he's testing Jesus. And it's interesting, you know, if we imagine the scene and we're sitting there in this holy place with this Pharisee's house, which you would say, well, it's holy or it's righteous. And this sinful woman comes in. Maybe we're surprised that the Pharisee doesn't, that Simon doesn't actually just kick her out. Because she shouldn't be there. And we don't know the details here, but maybe this is all Simon says. Well, now we can see. Now we will see what he does. Now this is a test. And we, and we see his heart when he says, well, if, if this man was a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is. And of course, Jesus knows exactly what sort of woman this is. And he doesn't care that she's a sinner, does he? He cares that she is pouring out love to him. And if Simon was truly intelligent. He would know that when Jesus was talking about the one who owed 50 denarii, though he was talking about him, and in his house was a man who could set him free and heal him. But this is a man who studies the scriptures, who is studying Jesus, and his, his mind is working more than his heart. He's not willing to see his own sin. And then we have this great contrast of this woman, this sinful woman. And, you know, and Luke doesn't tell us why she's there exactly. We know she's there to, be, to meet Jesus, but he doesn't tell us how or the why of it. If we read the preceding um, verses in chapter 7, and you can go back to chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the Beatitudes, but then he comes into Judea and he raises someone from the dead, which is pretty staggering. And it says that reputation, his reputation went out into all Judea and the surrounding regions. So maybe she heard. Just before this scripture is when John the Baptist sends disciples to Jesus. 
And we have this wonderful interaction with Jesus and the disciples of John. And while he's talking to them and telling them, go back and tell John what you've seen, Scripture tells us, Luke tells us, that he is healing all those who come to him sick. And he's restoring sight to the blind. And he's casting out demons. And so maybe this woman is in that crowd. And she's seeing Jesus do these things. We don't know exactly. But we know that she comes and she starts to pour out love to Jesus. And she is already a woman who is rejected and she risks more rejection. Even this act, I mean, how many of you have had your, your feet washed by someone as part of like an Easter service or something? Hey, that is hugely awkward for me. It's amazing, but doesn't it feel like really weird? You know, it's not, part of, it's not what we're used to. Can you imagine someone washing your feet with their tears and their hair? And this is social, in a social situation where she should, just shouldn't be in that room, and he certainly shouldn't be letting her touch him. And under rabbinic law, to let your hair down in front of another man was an offense. It had to stay wrapped up and covered. So she's breaking the norm, she's breaking the rules. <laughs> she's not allowing anything to hold her back from pouring out this love onto Jesus. We have Simon who watches, who Jesus incorporates into his story and Simon misses it. And we have the one who adores him. And, you know, and this is something we have to be so careful of. And we, we live in a religious community and it's a beautiful way to live. It's a beautiful thing that we can worship freely and be in this place. No one's killing us for being Christians. No one's persecuting us. But it's so easy for us to become religious. And, and religion will always, dry religion will always cut us off from Jesus. Simon is the religious one. He is the one that cannot meet Jesus' love. He cannot experience Jesus' grace, even though Jesus offers it to him. The woman, the sinner, is the one who goes away freed. And so we have this, we have this choice. We always have this choice to, to, to come before Jesus and to worship him. And, to, and this idea of pouring perfume out on his feet, it's, it's this offering of, of love that's beyond obviously just singing songs, you know, that, that's beautiful, but it's, it's, it's that when we sing songs that we're offering all of us. We're offering our hearts, it's our, we are worshiping from our souls, from our spirits, from the bottom of our hearts, and we're pouring our love out on him. And there are moments every day, like I said, where, where we have choices. People do things to us. We have choices to respond in the ways of the kingdom or the ways of the world. And when we choose the ways of the kingdom, we are giving Jesus our worship when we are saying we are following your ways and we're pouring ourselves out for you. 
And we're not going to follow the ways of the world. We read this scripture and, and this, this, um, this woman comes. I wish we knew her name. <laughs> and she, she risks everything. And I, I don't know what this looks like for each one of us. Because it is different for each one of us. And some of us will encounter Jesus in different ways. Some of us will have different opportunities to pour out love towards him. We worship him, we meet him in different ways. The, the, the implication here from this story is that she's willing to pay a cost. She's willing to be rejected by men. But she is so desperate to meet Jesus and to be set free. And that's the beauty of this. Like he is worthy of, our, of everything. He is worthy of us pouring out our love. But the beauty of this is that we get a reward. We don't do it for the reward, but what does she get? She gets forgiveness. And she gets peace. And she's made well. You know, last week, or two weeks ago rather, I had, I had, a, had a, a moment at, at work which was really not pleasant and I got home later that day and I was, I was irritable and I'd, I'd lost my peace. And I was, I was actually just really loving being peaceful. And I said to the Lord, where's my peace gone? And, and he said to me, when did you decide that making life about you was a good idea? And I thought, what do you mean? Well, well, remember when this thing happened today? You reacted in anger and irritation, and you made it about you. And you reacted like the world does, and how do you think I want you to react? And I, and I said, oh yes, I'm just not that important, am I? Yeah, it really doesn't matter. And his peace just flooded me again. And I don't know what exactly what that was, but it, I was willing to give up some right to revenge or whatever it was that I was maybe thinking I could do and saying, Jesus, your way is better and I want to worship you and I want to follow you. But there are some things that we can do. So, you know, some suggestions. Now, you'll see people will often come and kneel on the carpets at the front. People do it for different reasons. And I don't know why this is, but I will often find that in different parts of the church, I'll experience Jesus differently, I'll experience the Holy Spirit differently. And there are times where he's just like really, really manifest in the front of the church. I don't know why. He just chooses to be. And if you actually come and you're not scared of what people think and you're willing to just be on your knees before him, and just love him and pour out your heart to him, you might encounter him in a new way. If, for me, it's often reading books. 
He's asking the Lord, what book do I read? What, books, what book is going to hurt me to read? And I'll buy it and I'll look at it for a couple of weeks and then I, eventually I'll start reading it and I'll find myself on my knees weeping because he's pulling stuff out of me. But I'm giving up my time to read something that he's told me to read because I know he's going to move. Or we could ask, you know, what is our treasure? This, this perfume costs something. In the story of in, in John 12, we know it's you know, 300 denarii, I think it is, perfume, you know, this, this lavish love. Is this, is this something that can cost us? What's precious to us? What's our treasure? Is it our time? Is it our relaxation time? Is it our time with friends? Is, you know, is it something, can we actually sacrifice something for him? And pour out worship and sacrifice? For some, some of us, it might be you know, coming to one of the early morning prayer meetings here or at the bridge, coming on Friday evenings to Friday prayers, to setting that time to him. You know, some of us are doing the Lenten fast and, and, that's, and that's a sacrifice. It's, it's, it's pouring out love to Jesus and saying, you're worthy, you're worthy. I have absolutely hated and loved my fast so far. It's been incredibly difficult and incredibly rewarding. And maybe that's how it should be. <laughs> but all I know is I'm talking more to Jesus and that's good. But worship, worship of perfume, worship of adoration, worship that goes beyond the normal, it might be unreasonable, it might be out of the ordinary, but it's about fixing our hearts on Jesus and just saying you're worthy and lavishing love on him, whatever that looks like for you. Lavish love on him. Lavish love on him. I know for Finn, Finn loves all the old hymns. Every time he comes here and sings, sings the new choruses, he's lavishing love on the Lord. There was an old one here for you tonight. That was good. <laughs> I want to pray for us. I know I'm looking at my paper. I really haven't read anything off my paper for like the last five pages. Um, but I do want to read this. This is... Um, this is part of a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, which I'm sure a lot of you have read. A really powerful minister of God's word. And this is what he says about the woman. Little did she care how it looked. She knew what she meant. She could not do otherwise. Her whole soul went out in love. She acted naturally as her heart dictated, and brethren, she acted well. Oh, for more of this guileless piety which hurts decorum and regulation, sorry, hurls decorum and re regulation to the winds. Throw your souls into the service of Christ, let your heart burn in his presence, and let all your soul belong to Jesus. Serve not your master as though you were half asleep. Do not work with drooping hands and half-closed eyes, but wake up the whole of your powers and passions for such love as he has shown to you. Give the most awakened and quickened love in return. Oh, for more of this love, 
if I might pray only one prayer this evening, I think it should be that the flaming torch of the love of Jesus should be brought into every one of our hearts and that all our passions should be set ablaze with love to him. I don't want us to strive for love. I don't want us to be passive and not seek him. I want us to position ourselves and invite the Holy Spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit led Peter into deeper love and encounters of Jesus, he will lead us if we will ask him. So will you pray with me? And we ask him. Worship team, have we got a song for afterwards? You guys can, if you guys can make your way up while we pray. Jesus, Jesus, you're worthy of our love. You, you're worthy. You're worthy of all of us. Jesus, thank you that your love covers all our sins. Your blood covers all our sins. Lord, we don't want to be like Simon. We, we don't want to be people of religion. We think that we owe you some sort of small debt and our, and our love towards you is cool. You are too glorious, Jesus. Your love is so overwhelming. Jesus, if you, if you have only been an idea to us, I ask that you become a reality. That the sheer size and weight and glory of your love would fall on us, Lord. That we would meet you. That your love draws us into love. Lord, if we have been living with, with weeds in our hearts, weeds of shame or pride or rebellion, Jesus, will you show us that you still want us to run to you? We are people of this city. We are sinners. And yet we run to you. Will you pull out of our hearts, Lord, anything that inhibits us? Anything that inhibits us falling at your feet? pouring out love before your, before your throne. Lord, above all things, Lord, we want to be a house 
that loves you, that adores you, that pours out praise and worship. Lord, in the space where, when we're together, Lord, but, but when we're not here, Lord, when, when we're living our lives, when we're out in the world, that we would be a fragrance, that we would be a perfume of your kingdom. Holy Spirit, do your work. Bring peace. Bring intimacy. Take us deeper, Jesus. Take us deeper into your love. We ask this in your name, Jesus, our King, our Lord, our lover. Amen. Amen.